The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. While you're finding your seats, before I get into this uh, message, I just want to let you know, I've said this a couple times, there is a ton of stuff going on at Artisan coming up in the next few weeks. Um, more stuff than we can possibly communicate to you during announcements at the end of the service. You, you know, at the end of the service, especially if we're anything close to running long, it just feels like the room's about to break and you can barely hear. Um, and that's okay. You know, that's what life is like when you're a crazy bunch of people like us. But I want to encourage you to stay tuned to the e-news and the website and look in your bulletins. There's most of it you can find in those places. Um, one of the things that's probably won't be able to announce even more at the end of the service, we have a few things that we will announce, is that we're about to start a new semester in our small groups. And so if you are not yet involved in a small group and would like to get involved with, uh, with one, strongly encourage you to do that. We still could use some more leaders of groups. And the person to talk to is uh, Pastor Mike, who was here with the guitar a minute ago. Um, if you're interested in being in one or leading one or just want to get more information, please talk to him. Um, and then we have a bunch of other stuff that we'll, we'll get to, um, and you'll hear about it. We even have today, for the first time ever, a sign-up table, which I think is like some rite of passage when you're a new church. <laughs> if you get to the point where you have a sign-up table, you know, and, and Doug's going to be manning that, so take a look at it. It's right outside the sanctuary when you, when you leave today. Um, if you miss anything announcement-wise, most of it is going to be there on that table. So Today, as um, Pastor Mike mentioned a while ago, we are celebrating Epiphany. And so I want to tell you a little bit about what Epiphany is. If you grew up in a, in a kind of uh, low church, not meaning low, like less important, but maybe less liturgical, um, <clears throat> you may not be familiar with the Feast of the Epiphany, but you may know the word Epiphany. What, what do we think of when we say the word Epiphany? We think of a dawning or a resu- uh, like a realization, right, um, where you finally see the light. You had an Epiphany, and suddenly you knew that the amusement park operator was really the crime, the criminal, you know, and you went and pulled the mask off him. Um, wait, that was Scooby-Doo, but uh, that's an epiphany. <laughs> um, that gets us close to what we mean, but it's not quite what we're going to talk about with, with the epiphany today. Um, the Greek word that's at the root of the word epiphany simply means reveal. So when we think of epiphany, we think of the revealing of some important truth. Might also say the manifestation of something or an unveiling. Um, Now, traditionally, the Feast of Epiphany is celebrated on January 6th. Today, if you know, if you looked at your calendar, it's January 8th. So we're technically not on the right day to do this, but um, that's how we roll here. We're we're historical and rooted in church tradition, but we always sort of adapt that to fit our wacky. Uh, personality and, and culture. But Epiphany for the first few centuries of the church was extremely important. Now, you, you may have, this may be the first time, you may have been in church your whole life, this may be the first time somebody's actually talking about Epiphany as a holiday. But for the first few centuries of the church, it was very important. I mean, it was Easter, Epiphany, and Pentecost. Those were the big three. And Christmas um, 
Of course, Christ's birth was celebrated, but it wasn't one of the big holidays uh, as it is now. That's uh, sort of Dickensian to, to celebrate Christmas the way we do. Um, but uh, it's, it's, the, it's this revealing. And originally, in the uh, Eastern Church, where Epiphany was most highly celebrated, what was celebrated at that holiday was not what we are going to talk about in a minute, but it was actually Christ's baptism. You know the story of Christ's baptism when he went down to the Jordan River and John baptized him, and as he came up out of the water, the dove descended and the skies opened, and the voice said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. You remember that story? Well, that's, that's a revealing. That's a manifestation or an unveiling. We kind of think of that as the start of Christ's earthly ministry in some ways. And so it makes sense that that would be celebrated at Epiphany, if we're talking about a revealing of, of Jesus. Um, but in the Western church, which is, you know, our roots sort of officially go through the Western church. Um, we, you know, of course, we like all the branches of Christianity that, um, have something to offer to us, and, and we look back through the history in both directions, even off the, off the main branch of the tree, if you will, that we might have sprung from. Um, but our roots officially are in the Western Church, and in the Western Church, Epiphany came to be uh, to mean a different revealing. So instead of the revealing of Christ's ministry at his baptism, it was Christ's revealing to the Gentiles. Now we've talked about this a lot, especially in this past few weeks, how Christianity was originally a sect of Judaism, and how it's in, early in its history it began to attract. Gentiles, in other words, people who were not Jews, and the leaders of the church interpreted that as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, and indeed of the original calling of Abraham himself, who was promised by God that he would be the father of a great nation, and that through that nation, in that nation, all the nations of the world would be blessed. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, this mystery has now been revealed, there's that word, Epiphany, by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Epiphany came to be a celebration of the revelation of Jesus beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. And the key event in the Bible that demonstrates this revelation is not... Actually, any of the stuff we, we were just talking about, it's not, remember last week we talked about how the Spirit began to work in, in the hearts of Gentiles and they became Christians and the church had to deal with that. It has nothing to, the Epiphany has nothing to do with those events. Um, as a matter of fact, it comes much earlier than that. The event that we focus on at Epiphany happened very, very early in Jesus' life. And I'd like to read that story for you now. Could I ask you to stand together for the reading of the gospel? From Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, 
he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that had been seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Thank you, Lord, for these words from your gospel. And we pray that uh, this story would be meaningful to us today, that we would know the coming and revelation of Jesus Christ in our own lives, and that we would be uh, bathed in his light. Amen. You can be seated. So the wise men came from the east. This is deeply ingrained in our Christmassy imaginations, right? We have the nativity scenes with the... Uh, the little baby and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the sheep and the angel on top. And then if you do things the right way, in other words, sort of chronologically, you put the wise men at the outside because they came last, right? Um, and if you are, let's just say, for example, that you are part of a live nativity scene at your church and you're a teenager and you don't really want to be involved and it's cold and you kind of hate it, um, you want to be a wise man because then you get to sit in the trailer and drink hot chocolate until the very end of the story when you come out, <laughs> Um, but the wise men. So this is, you know, it's in our imagination. We three kings of Orient are and, and all that stuff, right? Well, but who were they really, wise men? Well, they were magi, is what the, what the Bible says in its original language, or, you know, sorcerers, uh, astrologers. They were probably priests or practitioners, at least, of, of an Eastern religion that focused on astrology and you know, what the Old Testament would have called sorcery and uh, would have been considered paganism. So you never really hear um, the story told in this way that the wise men read their horoscopes and it said to go to Bethlehem so that they did. Um, but that's actually probably a little bit closer to the truth than you might think. I mean, they followed a star there. And boy, could we talk about that for uh, a long time, how God called these pagan priests to his son Jesus by way of their pagan religion. He spoke to them in exactly the way that they were trying to understand spirituality and the world, even though it was, it was not even, it's not even enough to say that it was different. It was like forbidden in Judaism to do this. But for now, suffice it to say, the point is that they followed the light in the sky to find Jesus. The wise men followed the light and found Jesus. Now, there are Old Testament passages that is 
passages from the part of the Bible that is the Hebrew Bible that comes before Christianity. Um, There are passages in the Old Testament that uh, foretell this particular revelation uh, of Jesus to these Gentiles. Um, I want to read a couple of them to you, but before I do that, I um, I want you to keep in mind one thing. When you're reading the Bible, especially when you're reading the Old Testament and you come across the word nations, you should assume that that means other nations, not the nation of Israel, but the others, the outsiders, the Gentiles. Okay, so um, when we read the Old Testament passages and it says the nations rage and, and so forth, we just think, you know, the world is a crazy place and the, the, all the countries of the world are in chaos. Well, that may be true, but that's not what, not what the Bible means when it says something like that. What it means is that the, the Gentiles rage. Okay, um, so let me read you these two passages. They both use that word, so I want you to have that in mind. The first one is from the Psalms. If you'd like to follow along, there are Bibles under your chairs. And the page numbers are are, uh, on the screen behind me. But you can also just listen. I think it's really wonderful sometimes just to listen to Scripture. Um, I'm going to read the first verse of this Psalm, which sort of sets up the concept, and then verses 10 through 14, which really speak to this event that we're looking at today, the epiphany, the revealing of Jesus to these Gentiles. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. Verse 10. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations give him service. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. And saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. May all kings fall down before him. All nations give him service. Remember the nations, what we, what we mean when we say that. And so this is where later in church history, you know, a few hundred years in, there started to be a tradition that these wise men were actually kings. Because they look at these verses and they think, that, that was a prophecy. You know, and so when it says all the you know, all kings fall down before him, they think, well, that's... They, 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 so there's sort of a conflation of things going on there. Now let me look at another, another passage really quickly here. It's from Isaiah 60. This was actually our call to worship today. If you were... Um, I was going to say if you were early, but let's go with less than 10 minutes late. You, uh, you heard this call to worship earlier. Isaiah 60, 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant, and your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They will bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. There's so much in there. Um, you can see like a lot of the components of the little nativity scene, the gold and the frankincense and the, and the camels and, and the, the kings kneeling down and bringing the wealth of the nations in worship of Jesus. 
But the, the, the phrase that, that I want to focus on the most, the one that jumps out to me and I think is just so powerful, is the beginning of verse 3. Nations shall come to your light. Obviously, this is the central idea of epiphany as we've described it today. The nations, that is the Gentiles, that is the religious outsiders, shall come to the light of Christ. And He will be revealed to them, and they will be welcomed into the new covenant, the new promise that God makes to people. And this time, the promise is not specific to one nationality. This time, the promise is for all people. Nations shall come to your light. I think it's a safe guess that I'm making that almost everybody in this room is from the nations in the biblical sense of that word. And so we are all beneficiaries of this particular revelation, this epiphany, that we are part of God's family as a result of Christ opening the doors to Gentiles. And so I have two brief observations about all of this. We have, we have a lot of history stuff and background stuff today, um, but I think it, it all points to these, these two ideas that I want to present to you. And there's one idea for one group of people and another idea for a second group of people. The first observation and first idea is for those of you who are on the edge of faith, for the people in the room or maybe who are listening online who uh, are not yet following Jesus. And the observation for that group of people is this. Notice the direction of the action in this story. Notice the direction of the action in this story. If you were staging this as a play or a film, you would, you would set it in such a way that, that, that the action, the movement, was uh, undertaken by a certain character in a certain direction for a certain reason. Specifically, the star appeared and the wise men went to it. Now, I think there is a great big metaphor to be deciphered here, especially for people who are distant from God. The light of Christ appears under the power of God. There is nothing you could do or have done or can do in the future to create that light or to make it appear for yourself. It's there. And that is not of your doing. But the star didn't appear right over the wise men's head. And the light of Christ probably doesn't appear directly over where you are right now. It appears and it draws you to itself. And we could say he appears and draws you to himself. So you have to go after it a little bit. It's a calling, an invitation to God's side. It's not a, a siege where, where, or a conquest where God is going to knock down your walls and come after you and, and get you and forcibly drag you somewhere. 
C.S. Lewis was fond of saying that the, mo- the moment of conversion, specifically his conversion, but then he applied this to others as well, was the, the, it was an act of laying down arms, of, of ceasing to fight against, against God, and of joining his side. C.S. Lewis was, uh, was, was a World War II thinker. And so, you know, we, we maybe balk a little bit at this army imagery. Um, but it's a calling to join God's side. The point is the light is, is not going to chase you around as you're running away. You may turn your back on it. But it will be there when you turn around again. And what you need to do is what the wise men did. You need to see it, observe it, and go to it. You follow the light. So if you're a person on the outside of faith or on the fringes of faith, as the magi were on the outside of faith, and you have noticed the light of Christ, what you need to do is get moving. (laughs) You need to pack up your camels and get closer to the light. So read the Gospels, study them, begin to pray for more and more revelation, talk to someone who you know to be in the light, and take steps every day to get closer to that light. So that's the observation or the message for people who, are, who would consider themselves outside of faith, who are not yet Christians who are exploring or trying to figure it out. Notice the action in the story and duplicate it. See the light and go to it. The second observation is for people who uh, are already uh, on the inside, so to speak. Um, People who are already believers in Jesus, who already trusted their lives to him, who are already trying to follow him. And your message today on Epiphany is this. The light is not done with you yet. All right, so, so you have come the distance and found the light. <laughs> you have arrived in one sense. But the light is not done with you just yet. See, it, it, it's, when it appears it's in the distance, once you get to it and, it, and it's over your head, it's going to start shining on you <laughs> brightly. We don't necessarily want a bright light shining on us, do we? We like a little bit of darkness. A little bit of shadow. A little spiritual lockbox that we can keep things in and close so that they don't have to be exposed. But the light of Christ does not really allow for that. If you're a Christian, the light is not done with you yet. You may need to do the hard and often painful work of opening that lockbox, if you will. Probably happens a little bit at a time. And it's probably going to take the rest of your life. In faith. But the moment you close that box, 
and try to cover your shadows up and protect them from the light, that's the moment that you stop allowing Christ to change your heart and to mold and make you into the person he wants you to be. So you should always be taking the next step to allow more of that light into your life. Get into a small group. Find a trusted friend and agree that you're going to open up to each other a little bit more than you have. Meditate on Scripture. Pray and maybe especially practice that wonderful discipline of silent listening prayer so that God can get a word in edgewise. The observations are different. The messages are different. But the, the response is maybe not totally different. For those two groups of people. Either way, you have to seek the light and you have to allow it to work in your life, whether that means starting to follow it for the first time or whether that means allowing it to expose that dark corner of your soul that you've been keeping hidden for decades. In either case, it can be frightening to move toward the unknown. can be frightening to move toward the unknown no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. But that is the great mystery of faith. Let me ask you this question. This will be it for today. So hear this question. In a world of darkness, and it's a bright sunny day today, But can we agree that the world is a dark place? In a world of darkness, why would you do anything other than seek the light? We beseech you, O Lord... Let our hearts be graciously enlightened by your holy radiance, that we may serve you without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life, that so we may survive the storms of this world and with you for our pilot attain the heaven of eternal brightness through your mercy, O blessed Lord, who lives and governs all things, world without end. Amen. I invite you now to respond to the word of God at the table of the Lord. This is our chance to celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion together. And if you are seeking to follow Jesus, if you are pursuing that light, or if it's already shining on your head, This is the place for you to come in response to the Word of God. We'll continue to worship Him in song as we do this, but I'd invite you to come and tear a piece of the bread. The bread represents His body, which is broken for you. And we practice intinction, which means you dip it into the cup. There's both wine and juice, whatever's more appropriate for you and your family. The cup representing His blood, which was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And take this bread and this wine and receive it 
in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice, in remembrance of the light that he offers through that sacrifice. Receive it as food for your souls. And do it all as an act of unity with each other and with all the Christians in the city of Rochester today who are celebrating communion and all the Christians around the world who are doing something similar to this today and all the Christians throughout time in both directions who are celebrating this sacrament. We are in communion with them. Remember that also as you come. Uh, If you are still on the fringes of faith and you're not ready to make that step, we love that you are here today and I invite you to sit and pray or think or meditate, maybe read the passage again. Um, I don't want you to feel awkward if you're not ready to do this just yet, but this is something that's very important to those of us who confess faith together. And so I invite you to respond to the word of God, however he might be leading leading you to do so, and let's continue to worship him.